The following podcast may contain mature themes and coarse language. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to a special crossover edition of the No Fear Project and Fat Man Chronicles podcast. I'm your host for both, Pete D'Amico. We have an interview today that fits into the missions of both projects. I got the chance to sit down with registered dietitian, entrepreneur, and endurance athlete, Annie Weiss. The discussion with Annie was incredible. We get Annie's expert take on the relationship between food, fear, weight, and overall health. There's a ton to dig into in this episode, so we should get right to it. We'll talk to Annie right after this new message from our sponsor, Silver Fox Athletics. The pandemic has thrown a wrench into our lives, including our athletic goals. We are all on the hunt for help to get back on track or find ways to improve even as races are canceled. That's where Coach Andy and Silver Fox Athletics can help. Coach Andy can help you with your goals and to maintain consistency in a world without races. I've worked with Andy for a couple of years, and he has helped me overcome my fears while hitting fitness heights I never thought possible. Coach Andy concentrates on middle and back-of-the-pack runners, so all you need is a desire to move, and he will set you up with a plan. Get more information about Silver Fox Athletics at silverfoxathletics.org. Also, Follow Silver Fox Athletics on Instagram. While you are there, click book to get your free initial consultation with Coach Andy. Make sure to tell him you heard about Silver Fox on the No Fear Project. All right, now we are over to our special crossover event interview with Annie Weiss. Annie, welcome to the No Fear Project and Fat Man Chronicles. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, I've been a fan I would say, because of uh, <laughs> your your time in the ultra running community and some interviews and then uh, reading a book that we'll probably talk a little bit about sure. later. Uh, but why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and uh, what you do? Okay. So I'm Annie. I'm a, by day, I'm a registered dietitian. Um, so I, I work in psychiatric care, uh, specifically with eating disorder patients, um, OCD, anxiety, depression, uh, the whole gamut of patients. And um, I also have a master's in sports nutrition. So I then on the side, I consult uh, through Ornery Mule Racing uh, as their dietitian. Uh, so I consult with a lot of athletes, um, stuff like that. And then um, through my own practice. So so a lot of, a lot of extra things as a dietitian. Uh, I also have a podcast with my friend Nicole who um and and we do a food podcast uh because we're both dietitians that's called between two pastries and then yeah. uh yeah know, right <laughs> and uh and then uh actually uh you might be one of the first people to hear about this outside of you know close friends and and some social media that I've done um I have or at least it's the first time I've mentioned it on a podcast I uh started a business for guinea pigs 
Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so it's a subscription box service. And similar to like, you know, the Shave Club or Bark yeah. Box or whatever, Wine Club. Uh, so there's only one in the UK and then uh, one in Australia and now uh, officially one in the US. So wow. <laughs> I know I, I ended up inheriting my cousin's guinea pig. And so it just kind of like was an idea that came to me as I was looking more into um, calving nutrition and stuff. <laughs> so it kind of crosses over into some animal nutrition. And I have have fun with it so that's awesome yeah so it kind of a probably more of a hobby at this point but uh it's it's a business it's hopefully you're gonna grow <laughs> yeah so did you just get the idea from that place over in the uk or did you like kind of get their business model or how did you do that so i actually i was talking with brian my husband about um just you know like god i really i really love animal nutrition i mean i love human nutrition but animal nutrition you you don't have to talk to anyone <laughs> you can just <laughs> you just deal with the animals and how great that would be and you know so i was thinking like of exploring another degree uh, in dairy science or animal nutrition and and you know without paying a hundred thousand dollars it's like ooh. yeah <laughs> so, so I started um, just investigating uh, you know for my own inheritance inherited guinea pig uh, you know what we should be doing and what they should be eating and what's ideal and you know they, they throw so many things into treats and food that they shouldn't be eating so I, I was investigating that and um, and then Brian actually came up with the idea of like, why don't you do a subscription box? Because I started looking for one online because it's so much easier to do that than to, you know, it's, it's fun for me. It's fun for them. And uh, he came up with the name and he just basically was like, you just just do it. You know, started ordering. I contacted a, a bunch of companies. I outsourced uh, supplies and got wow. everything. Yeah, I created a logo and jumped uh, right in. I did. I jumped right in and I, you know, went right into my savings a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> just I was like, well, I've already spent the money, so we're gonna do this. And so is it up? It is. It's up and running. What's We've it called? Cavi Club USA. Okay. So it's caviclub.com and um, you can get a one month, three month, six month subscription. And, and yeah, it is specific to guinea pigs, but rabbits usually cross over hamsters, small oh. animals. I know. <laughs> well, we'll link it up in the show notes because I had no idea we we're going on this rabbit hole. <laughs> I know, right? But that's awesome. <laughs> I should also say we are outside. So if there's any extra noises, oh yeah, you know, that's what, you know, it's the environment. It's nice and humid out. It is. I'm dripping. <laughs> it is so bad. I know. <laughs> uh, but... But it was a. Uh, it's. I love recording outside, though. I know. It always feels good to be out. Outdoors. I'd rather, especially in the summer, like when you know what comes in winter. It's like oh, I'll just sit and sweat because I. <laughs> I know in winter it's going to be twenty below. <laughs> right. Well, I love the 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 guinea pig stuff, but we really got together to talk a little bit about uh, food and and fear and yeah. weight and. And it really is in your wheelhouse since yes. you specialize so much um, in the mental side, really mm -hmm. of how food works. So can you give us a little bit about your experience and how food and fear kind of collide? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it it's kind of crazy because when I first started in, in college going down this road of becoming a dietitian, I didn't I had no clue that that food and fear were were so linked um, as they currently are. So that would have been, you know, early 2000s. And it, it you know, so it was a while ago. So maybe in the last 20 years, a lot has happened um, where the two have become so webbed together. But um, basically, you know, you start school and you learn all of all of the food stuff and you you don't really learn a lot of behavioral 
And so as I started working in psychiatric care and, and learning so much and doing more research and, and having those discussions with cognitive behavioral therapists and psychiatrists and, 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 and patients themselves and, you know, starting to apply some of my own research to all of that, it, it was kind of mind blowing just how much food is not the problem. It's our relationship with food that's really the problem. It's behavior. So many people, and even uh, last night, my husband put on Netflix this like history 101 and it was on fast food. And I was like, oh God, okay. You know, it's an, it was another food documentary on like just how terrible the fast food industry was. And it, and I just, I was cringing because it's like, the people who created fast food are brilliant. They had a great idea and they went for it. Um, it they are not why people buy the food. If, if that was a salad revolution that started back in the, the 50s, maybe we'd be in a different place. But it, it doesn't matter. It's They created this marketing plan and people bought into it. Therefore, behavior caused the buy-in. The food didn't cause the buy-in, right? So that, that like this concept of fear and food is we're fearing, we're fearing the wrong thing. We're fearing the cupcake. We're fearing the pizza and the, you know, the fast food items instead of taking a step back and saying food is just food. Food sits there on the table. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have googly eyes and long tentacles that it's and it's about to get us you know it's it's just simply sitting there being what it is and that's food and it's our own contrived fears that we've either developed over time or it's things within ourselves our preconceived notions that we've developed that are causing those fears to come out and um but that's such a really really hard thing for people to to want to grab onto or even accept that like oh well I, you know, just because a donut is the only option at breakfast, if then it's the do- donut's fault. Well, not necessarily, because I can, you know, if donuts are my only option, I'm going to have a donut for breakfast, and I carry on with my day making appropriate choices based on the choices that I made prior to that, versus, oh, now the whole day is ruined, and now, you know, I can never, you know, eat this or that, or I've got to eat everything, and we, we start to have all these rules associated with it. So it's um, it's a very, very interwoven um, thing with, with food and fear and behavior, um, because really, really, truly, food isn't the problem. Um, are there things in food that maybe aren't, you know, the best things in the world? Sure. But there's so many things that people consider quote unquote best that really aren't, you know, like I think, uh, I think of like, and I'll, I'll pick on a quest bar. Well, that might be good in certain situations at certain times for certain people, but that, you know, so many people think, well, that that's healthy and it's not processed. And it's like, wait, let's take a step back. I didn't know chocolate came in protein form. You know, like let's let's identify what it actually means to to be processed. And then you how did all that fiber get in there with all the cookies and cream? Because I didn't know cookies and cream had fiber, <laughs> you know, like and, and you, it would be so much easier. If it did. Wouldn't it? I know. <laughs> and in the ice cream form. Right. Um, so it's it's kind of it's one of those things where there's such a, a a confusion about health in general and about food but it because of that there's fear that that is coming out of it if that makes sense so that's really you know the food fear issue is really a behavior and a relationship issue 
Yeah, I, you've said so much in there that I, I gotta <laughs> that I gotta try to circle back to. So I'll, I'll the first thing I'll start with is the fast food part. Mm-hmm. So it's it's probably known to at least anybody who knows me that my brother had an alter ego some years ago called McRunner. So I don't know if you ever heard of him, but he ate McDonald's only okay. for 30 days leading up to the LA Marathon. Oh, wow. And That's a tough one. And he made a lot of rounds on even um, Jimmy uh, Fallon made a joke about him. Oh, wow. And But he went out. He had his blood work done before he started this. Mm-hmm. He had his blood work done after. Mm-hmm. He's a great marathoner. He's fast, right? Okay. So yeah. he went out and set a PR in like two thirty six. That's and a change, hard course, right? In, yeah. In LA, um, and his blood work was better at the end of the thirty days than before. But my brother doesn't go in and eat a Big Mac with a large fry and uh, you know, we call it a bucket of Coke. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. You know, every time, <laughs> right? Pale. And he actually had a, it. He just took down the the blog not long ago, but he gave you everything he ate. So then. He came back a few years later. He did 45 days, added a shamrock shake. Oh, okay. And then went out, and he still, I believe, holds the world record for fastest marathon mail by a dairy product. That's So he awesome. dressed as a, a shamrock shake and went and set a, <laughs> this crazy world record, right? But the point being that he made choices Correct. within that fast food family, and he definitely doesn't look at food as the problem. He looks at volume and choices, right? Right. Um, right. Frequency, frequency you can throw in there as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. A- absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, and I think that that's awesome because it, so many people read Fast Food Nation or they watch these documentaries, and it there's so much bias within them. Um, you know that that sugar, fat, and salt are the problem, and it's like we all need sugar. Doesn't matter what form it comes in. We all need, we all need some salt in some way, shape, or form. We all need fat as well. How that comes in, yeah, that can vary, of course. But but for your brother, if you're you're exercising and you're getting, you know, you get a Happy Meal or you get, you know, a burger and fry and a normal size soda, great. Yeah, my you, advice you know? is just get the Happy Meal because then you get yes, a toy. I know that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> we actually look at the toy schedule <laughs> right? and then basically we go based on the toys. It's really we have like. Uh, almost, almost all of the Avenger ones. Oh, nice. I know that was, Brian was trying to collect all of them. So sometimes we would just go just to be like, "Hey, can we just buy the toy?" And See, I think Brian <laughs> and I could nerd out together. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was. It's. It's one of those things too, where it's just like uh, the fast food industry. Let's let's take McDonald's for example. They. It would be a dietitian's dream to work for McDonald's. Like their their headquarters is in Illinois, and um, it is so hard to get in there. And they have dietitians doing now. Granted, back in the 1950s, did they probably no? I don't even think this was a field back then. Right, but like, right. but like, no. But it was reasonable portions back then too. So now they've got they've recruited dietitians. The you know we were traveling uh, back from Idaho on Tuesday, and I was eating in the airport, and I had Wendy's, and I had it was like an I don't know apple pecan blue cheese salad whatever it was awesome yeah it was beautiful and it was it it was good lettuce it was high quality um it was gorgeous i was super impressed with it even for airport prices you know right. <laughs> like right. it, and it, it's just they've come a long way but they're not going to get rid of the big mac 
they're not going to get rid of their top sellers and their sizes and stuff because for yeah for someone like myself a small fry is probably appropriate but for someone who is, has a larger surface area like they're taller and they're broader and they're maybe they're running you know six hours a day who knows what's that or it's a michael phelps kind of person they might need a large or something right. so it, it does come down to choices and stuff like that and um i i people can be successful eating eating mcdonald's sure or fast food so i love that story yeah yeah so another another anecdote that people who know me will understand i i str- i have to drive quite a bit like getting kids and i oh, like sure. road trips and so today i was actually i was fretting the drive right because Driving to me equates to gas station zingers. Yep. I love zingers. I feel like those tentacles you talked about, mm-hmm. like I do feel like the sugar in the pastry is like literally pulling me in. And how I've explained it before is I feel like there is a pain almost in my head, in my psyche, that the only thing that can unlock it is this sugar mm-hmm. rush that mm-hmm. you get from, well, I love ice cream. The zingers. Ice yeah. cream and zingers, yeah. right? So I know what zingers are. Yeah. <laughs> I hope everyone does too. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I enjoy one too many gas station zingers. I've written blogs about them. So uh, <laughs> I my ode to zingers. But the uh, the point being that I do feel like some foods almost are pulling me at them. Mm-hmm. What I mean, have you heard people describe it that way before or is, yeah. am I abnormal here? <laughs> no, no, you're not abnormal at all. And so so what people are doing is, for example, let's we'll use you, for example, you go to a gas station and that's your that's your cue to get a zinger. So how often you do road trips might be more than a lot of people, but it's not probably an everyday thing where it's a road trip enough that you'd stop at a gas station to get a zinger. So let's say it's even once every 10 days. Now, all of a sudden, we're putting value on that stop or that trip because you're able to stop for the zingers. If you have a zinger every day or ice cream, whatever, you know, that that thing that we're putting value on, once we start having it every day, now all of a sudden that value is gone. So it gets to the point where I can go to the gas station and be like, yeah, I think I want a zinger or no, you know what? I'm okay. I don't, I I know that this is something that I can have whenever I want it and I don't have the value and it's not associated to just this one thing. Uh, It's like people who go uh, when we can have a state fair and they go to state fair and now it's, it's all these fried items and it's this and it's, you know, fried on a stick. Yeah. Fried (laughs) this way. And then the burger with the donut and then the elephant ear and this, and it's like, or, or even, you know, a better example would probably be even be Christmas, you know, and people are, oh, my God, I ate so much. I had this and this and this and this. And it's like, why don't you eat those foods around like year round? You know, whether it's a Christmas cookie or a chocolate chip cookie, it doesn't matter. Like if you eat foods that you enjoy regularly, now the value of that food on a particular like that we associate it with a particular holiday or trip or whatever, it goes away. And 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 so that's where. I come in and I do exposure work with people and I can think of one client more recently where I told her, I said, you just got to close your eyes. We're going to dive right into this exposure work where she, you know, she wouldn't have peanut butter or sugary cereals in the house or even ice cream cookies because of that fear of overeating too much of it. And like you were talking about that, like that desire, that, that just, it's, you start having the shakes almost because it's just so strong and powerful that that connection that you want to have this item. 
so we started, you know, I had her list, you know, uh, kind of like the order in which she wanted to do things, what her comfort level was. And she got through all of them. And But for example, the exposure of, you know, cookies we started with, I think it was Oreos. You're going to buy Oreos and you're going to leave it sealed on the counter. You're going to leave it in the kitchen on the counter. You're going to be in the living room or you'll be, you know, be somewhere else. Every time you go into the kitchen, you look at the Oreos and you walk away. That's it. Then you're going to bring the Oreos with you and you're going to carry them around your house. We're still not going to eat it yet because that could trigger eating too many of them. So then from there, you know, we get comfortable just having Oreos in our hand. Then we open the Oreos. We smell the Oreos. You know, it's this whole series of exposures to get to the point where we can eat uh, one or two or three, you know, and be able to stop ourselves. Um, and, and now, you know, again, she's to the point where all of these foods that were quote unquote forbidden in a sense, or kind of had this value, they were on a pedestal for whatever reason. Now she's like, I can have it or I can't, it doesn't matter. And, you know, and her, her weight changed, um, whether or not she, she'd lost weight, we don't step on scales or anything like that, but she felt better in her shorts that she was wearing. And she identified she could probably eat more vegetables, but she was totally content with being able to eat all of these foods regularly without having like this, I eat it and I eat too much of it. And then I don't eat any of it. And then I eat too much of it. And then I don't even, it is kind of this like yo-yo pattern of eating. Um, and I think that's where if, if you can have the zingers regularly, then it, it removes that attachment we have to it. So my, there's a couple things in there that you said that make a lot of sense and I need to unpack a little bit more. Mm -hmm. My fear is that, uh, one of two things, right? Either I'm going, it's a slippery slope argument, right? Where, well, if I do this, then I'm, then I'm going to do these other things, even though they haven't happened, right? Even though there's no reason for them to happen. In my mind, I relate, I eat the zinger, therefore I'm going to eat the other stuff or the excuse, right? They're, they're two sides of the same coin or, well, I've already eaten the donut for breakfast, so I might as well eat the zinger while I'm on the road trip and I might as well eat, you know, 52 tacos at dinner. Because right? I already because I already up. screwed up the day, right? And I I I really think that there's a lot of people who feel this, right? They do, they do, and that's why they get in that habit of like, okay, Monday, it's a new week, it's a new day, and I have my nuts and salads and water and and all this healthy stuff, and then through Thursday and work is stressful, and by Thursday you're just over it. So Friday we go out, we binge drink, we eat desserts, we have pizza. Saturday we go out for burgers and beer and the game, and now Sunday, ooh, I better get it together, but it's Sunday, so I'm still going to enjoy these nachos, and then we do it all over again. Right. And it just is that that up and down roller coaster, and then over time, people gradually start to gain weight as the body is, you know, more so in an inflamed, in an inflamed state, more you know more or less um from what they've been eating the inactivity or the imbalance of activity you know like i work out and it's three hours monday through thursday and then i don't do anything because i'm so overworked and then you know then all that eating starts whereas what do you mean could you talk about the inflamed before you go oh sure 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 just to make sure people understand what that means yeah so like um and i don't mean inflamed like like bloated and swollen or like uh like physically where someone might see it but more so like internally inflamed so like we have salad and nuts and avocado and kind of like all those quote-unquote healthy foods that people want to want to be eating and pretend that they eat all the time and and those are going to be anti-inflammatory in nature and then they overload on things that might cause inflammation like within our cells and they don't drink as much water and now they're you know they're drinking more alcohol and the inflammatory response happens that then when 
we eat one way or another, now people start experiencing like gut distress. Oh, that must be the milk I just drank. Well, no, it's not. It's because you kind of are going all like from one extreme to the uh, the other, this all or nothing way of eating instead of just having you know, ice cream regularly versus the whole gallon on the weekend. And and that's where they see that inflammatory response or what I, I guess a better way of that's where people start to think they're lactose intolerant or gluten sensitive or they have these stomach issues or heartburn even or um, it could even be, be sleep disturbances, which all can be caused because of these the the behavior in which we're eating, not necessarily the food itself. Does that Got make it. sense? Yep. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted your. No, flow no, no. There. That's just totally fine. <laughs> but I wanted fine. to make sure <laughs> that we had a, we hit on that. So, I, I think that one of the so we had a question from a a listener that I think kind of gets into this realm too. Yeah. And he asked, "Can wanting to eat healthy?" So, like, I he goes to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. He's so overwhelmed with wanting to buy the right thing. And maybe they're out of something or, or what have you, right? And it can it cause things like anxiety attacks or panic attacks? Have you seen that? Oh, I've seen that so often. And I know, honestly, and it's, I will say my experience with it is with people who are um, already in a, have disordered eating or eating disorders. So it's like they're, they're, they haven't gone to the grocery store in months or even a year or two because they're so afraid of that experience. So, uh, and, and, and here's the thing. So many people in the general public have eating issues. It would maybe not a diagnosis of an eating disorder, but they have such disrupted eating habits and behaviors that a simple task like going to the grocery store can be so overwhelming and it can cause anxiety, panic attacks. So, I mean, obviously the the thing that I would assume everyone's going to expect me to say is, yeah, go with a list. But then you go, so you write on your list cereal. Well, if you've ever gone into a cereal aisle, it's like literally the entire aisle. <laughs> like it's what do you choose at that point? And then you've got, you know, okay, you have Cheerios and you have 14 types of Cheerios plus the off brands and then you know what's on sale what's not on sale and then do you do you look at that do you look you know it's just it's very overwhelming and I I will say like when I went to I went to Kenya and they fed us and it was you know here's your your cornmeal item your chicken or or goat and a vegetable you know it was very you know here's what it is after that 10-day period I went back and you have to go grocery shopping and it was overwhelming to me because it was like There's so many choices. So I really do understand where people are coming from. And honestly, the best thing to do is to make a list and to stop worrying about what's in things or not in things. What go to the grocery store with the intent of what meals do I want to make and what tastes good? So I want to make a, you know, a meatball sub sandwich for dinner um, for my family. I need buns. Okay, what do I want that to look like? Well, I need them to be sub buns. Do I want that from the deli or the bread aisle? What do you prefer? What do you like? Do you like the crappy white buns? Or do you really want to eat some grainy bread bun thing? You know, like, what do you enjoy? Then, you know, do you want beef? Do you want turkey? You know, for your meatballs? Do you want cheese on it? What kind of red sauce? And and in the sense of red sauce is red sauce is red stuff. We don't need to evaluate how much sodium is in it because they all have sodium. So just get over it and just be okay with the fact that this is the meal I want to make. And I'm not going to fret over what I enjoy and how I want that meal to look. Hamburger helper is hamburger helper, right? Like we can't 
you can't make that a healthy meal necessarily, you know? But if that's something you enjoy, get that. But we're not eating it every day. Right. So. Yeah, I think that there's a lot in the, I can't have this. And Mm -hmm. that causes that, you know, anxiety to come over. And so I, I, I suffer from depression anyway. And I find that when I eat well or what I consider to be well, Mm -hmm. I don't really feel the symptoms as much. When I don't, I tend to feel the symptoms more. And I don't know if that's psychosomatic. I don't know if it's the truth, you know, that there are certain foods that exacerbate, you know, the the issue. I have no idea. I don't know that answer either. But I would also question, is it your learned beliefs of those foods that are causing that thought. Like, for example, um, you know, diet culture or just Western culture in general teaches us that, you know, for example, um, you need to eat, you know, whole grains and not white bread. So when you have whole grains, you're probably thinking, ah, I did good. This is good. I'm having the sprouted bread and that's wonderful and that that's acceptable. But when I have the white bread, ooh, now I start feeling bad about myself. Because there's this this buzz in the back of my head that says someone, Western culture, says that's not okay to be eating. So does that belief that we're a learned belief cause those symptoms to, you know, to come out a little bit more? Or is it the food itself? I don't know. Right. Right. Yeah, that's a good question. And I think that this really translates or pivots well. That's what I was, mm-hmm. that's the word I was looking for <laughs> to all like a lot of the questions that I got were around specific diets that are popular today. Mm -hmm. So for example, you know, could people be uh, on a keto diet and be good athletes? Can they be a vegan and be, you know, how do you fuel as a vegan for athletics? Uh, Intermittent fasting was another one that was Mm -hmm. asked about, you know, so I don't know if you've got any thing that you want to chime in like in general on these i do and i'm gonna i'll lump them all together and and what i will say is if 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 you are passionate about a certain way of eating and and you're an athlete be sure you consult with someone who is a professional in that you know like a dietitian who can help you so you don't actually medically hurt yourself you don't have heart issues or kidney issues or anything like that if you know and and whether it's it's keto or no sugar or vegan vegetarian intermittent fasting it, it you know i mean i can share my opinions on everything but at the end of the day no matter what pattern of eating you feel closest to you have to remember that if you choose to eat a ketogenic diet, you need to do it the rest of your life such that however we choose to eat, if we're doing it just simply to lose weight and then after we're going to start eating bread again and pastas again, you're going to change. So if you follow keto, it needs to be forever because now that you've changed your body microbiome in your gut, you've changed your response to food, um, like from a biochemical level. Um, so it needs to be something that is really satisfying to you lifelong. Um, and that's what I always tell people is how do you want to eat the rest of your life? Do you want to be able to eat cookies and brownies and desserts again? Or are you okay giving that up forever and never seeing it ever, ever again? Um, you know, and how are you going to feel when you're, when your kid graduates and they want you to have a cook- cookie that they baked or whatever? I don't know. But like things like that. And, um, 
that's when people are like, oh, I didn't know that that, you know, like you have to do that forever. And I'm like, you certainly don't have to. But if you don't want your weight to continue to go back and forth and back and forth, you can't do things as a diet. You have to do them as a lifestyle. So think of these things as as lifestyles. And I think majority of people, no matter what the diet is, they internally know it's kind of like a punishment in a sense. Like, oh, I've, I've gained all this weight or I'm not content with myself. Therefore, I need to do X diet. And, and that right there, without someone knowing it or not, creates shame. And so there's this internal feeling of shame that they feel. So now they stop X diet, whatever it might be. They put on weight or they lose energy or they now and they blame food the foods that they added back in. Well, of course your body is going to change when you start eating differently, just so much as it changed when you ate different starting to follow whatever diet. So it, it has to be this lifelong thing. And that's the piece that I think people forget about is how do I want to eat in my 40s and 50s and 60s and 70s? Do I really want to be fasting when I'm 80 years old? Probably not. Like you probably want to be having exp- you at that point. I hope you want to be eating whenever the hell you want to be eating. Right. You know, <laughs> like and we're not worried about right. any of that. So, but even with something like intermittent fasting, which I'll say is probably my least favorite diet of all, um, is you have to commit to it long, long term. And I, I think the other thing that I see so often is parents are so afraid of their own body and food that they start to have their kids are starting like they're putting their kids on these things and that's so um detrimental to their growth and it's that's i think the the hardest part at all i don't really care if an adult chooses to do whatever and not eat but when kids start to do it that's where it gets hard yeah i'm going to circle back to kids in a minute but Mm -hmm. i want to go a little bit more on on this subject intermittent fasting in particular we had a couple of people ask about it Mm -hmm. so you know, the I think it's uh, Jason Fung, I, I think, is the one who yeah. has really written a lot about this. And he talks about how its effect on insulin resistance mm-hmm. and sensitivity. Uh, so, if I mean, do you have thoughts around how that I, I could do? Work? Well, OK, so here's here's the thing. So when a person uh, so like not intermittent fasting looks like this. We eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, maybe a snack or something in there. And then we go to bed and we are fasting for probably 10, 12 hours overnight till we eat again the next morning. That is, that is insulin resistance for sure. Like that's, you're going to control your blood sugars just simply with that fast. Um, but now they've marketed on intermittent fasting where, you, oh, why don't we do 14 hours or we'll do you eat between 10 and 6 or, you know, like all different. There, obviously, there's millions of ways you can put it all together. Um, yeah, they they see some control with with insulin and with blood sugars. They're seeing positive results for people who already have cancer. Um, but otherwise, they're also seeing, and I shouldn't say they, I should say what, what I'm seeing and what other dietitians who and end up seeing clients or patients who started this is they're seeing a poor relationship with food coming out of it. Um, they're seeing um, things like intolerances develop because the microbiome is so jacked up. They're seeing metabolism shifts. I'm seeing metabolism shifts in people where 
I don't understand. I lost weight. Now I'm gaining weight. I'm low energy. I've lost my muscle mass. And so it's like, people have to ask themselves, what is the, what is the, what is the, the benefit, uh, like the cause and effect? What's, what's pros and cons of doing this particular thing? And, and really all, uh, again, it's not glamorous, but all you have to do is go to bed and stop eating after dinner and eat breakfast the next morning and that's a fast like that's that's the ideal fast and if you eat regularly throughout the day and you pair carbon protein and fat together your blood sugars are going to be stable you're not going to see the spikes even eating regularly so the again asking yourself which way do i want to eat do i want to be able to eat during the day or do i want to starve myself what sounds more appealing because both ways can control blood sugars. Yeah, I, I've I've done intermittent fasting just because I like to run fasted. So mm-hmm. it kind of just worked out that I would be more like 14 or 16 hours just because I would get up, go for my run, and then I'd come back and, and eat afterwards. Sure. And I, and I was fine doing mm-hmm. that. I've been fine not doing it. Like it hasn't impacted my weight um, from that perspective, right? But we did have a question from, I think it was Sandy who chimed in and, you know, said, like, look, I'm not losing any weight doing intermittent fasting. And then uh, brought up another subject, though. And I think you've answered the first part about it's not necessarily a weight loss tool, because Mm -mm. if over that four hours you eat, you know, 6,000 calories, you might see a different result, right? You you will see a different Um, result. Yeah. uh, But she asked in in kind of a follow up question how menopause Mm -hmm. impacts weight loss and Obviously, not a woman. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, but I, but I, I'm fascinated by that subject because I've heard women, you know, throughout my life as they entered menopause say, oh, I'm, I've gained weight. I'm, I feel bloated all the time. And I don't know if that's typical or normal or if that mm-hmm. impacts how females need to look at weight loss. So this is, this is the thing. Um, so many women's hormones are jacked up because of all of this back and forth dieting that they're doing. For, starting usually, it could be in their teens, but for sure their 20s. And if not their 20s, for sure, absolutely their 30s. Because I really do think people are starting as teenagers, though. Um, and so their hormones are already going to be screwed up and we're seeing so much more hypothyroidism, hyperthyroidism and all of that. So setting that aside you know we enter menopause um and we have to start realizing that menopause is uncomfortable and what it menopause means is we we need to be thankful to our bodies they're gonna see shifts um because our hormones are changing and what that means is we might gain some weight we might sweat we might be bloated and there's there's no one that avoids that whether it's a thin person, a fat person, um, only females, obviously, but even men experience different types of menopause in a sense um, with their hormone levels shifting. So we have to embrace it. And when we're feeling uncomfortable, and I, again, this is, maybe this is easier for me to say because I haven't hit it yet, but we have to embrace it. We have to look in the mirror and be like, damn straight, I, you know, I gained that pound and it's menopause, but my body is, that's what has to happen. That's it's not a bad thing that we gain that weight. It, there's it, you know, go back in time as to why that's occurring. And, and somewhere along the lines, the media or the, the diet industry, including, you know, the beauty industry said you can't gain weight. And unfortunately, menopause is something we go through and it's natural. And what's natural about it is that shift in weight that we're going to see. 
Um, but I, I do think it is so upsetting to so many women that they, they assume they did something wrong. They assume that food is the problem nine times out of 10. Okay. Well, it must be how I'm eating. So therefore I need to change how I'm eating. And what they end up doing is screwing up their hormones even more. So now, now their thyroid hormones are, are even more jacked up. You know, and, and, and it's, it's, they're contributing to the problem. They're not going to see a weight loss doing all of those things. And the easiest, uh, they start doing diets like that, that are higher in protein and higher in fat and, and forgetting that the one element that doesn't cause stress in our body and is so digestible is carbohydrate. And that's what people are avoiding most. And and so that's kind of the irony. Like when we di- we take in carbohydrate, it's easy for the body to digest. There's, you know, typically there's fiber in it, um, you know, depending on what carbohydrate we're taking in. And um, it's, it's usable and it's full of vitamins and minerals. Protein and fat are so much harder for the body to digest. They're not bad things. It's just it takes, it's a different process. Um, and so... It, it's interesting. I always find it interesting that so many women, they hit that 45 mark, they hit menopause and it's automatic keto or over-exercising. Um, it's all this extra stress that they're putting on their body. Cortisol levels go up and now we're seeing more hormone issues and they're not losing any weight. And, and all they need to do is just simply eat balanced and in moderation in terms of, you know, it's like the 80-20 rule. You know, 80% of the time we're going to eat whole grains and fruit, vegetables, lean meats, you know, some dairy sprinkled in there. And 20% we're going to have fun. And that, you know, whether it's ice cream or whatever, whatever pizza, whatever we consider fun in that way. And instead they go all or nothing. I love this analogy because I've kind of over time been tracking when I lose weight, when I maintain weight, you know, what I've eaten. And I, I did do like a keto-esque thing before, mm-hmm. keto, no, no sugar, no grain. It wasn't sustainable for me. I ended up having a, a scare that I, I documented on my programs that I thought I might have a heart issue. Mm-hmm. Turns out I didn't, but the Good. doctor was like, enough, like you need whole grains, you need, you know, so I've been, you need, and he's like more, more plants, right? So mm-hmm. kind of that, you know, eat real food. Mostly, you know, not too much, mostly plants, right? Yep. It's, yep. it's kind of that, that maxim, right? Uh, so from, from that perspective, when I do 80, 20, mm-hmm. are you talking about 80, 20 every day or 80, 20 over the course of a week or a month? A month or what? Right. Because <laughs> I, I could tell you, like, I haven't really looked at it on a daily basis, but like if I do an 80, 20 rule, so like I eat really well for five and a half days and I blow off a day and a half of the weekend, I gain three, four, five pounds. Right. We see that inflammatory response occur, right, right, in the form of cells expanding. And yes, I try not to go with a week because that's how so many people interpret 80-20 in terms on a a weekly basis. Oh, so that's five days that I do really well and two days that I can just fart away. And that's that's the pattern I don't ever want people to get into. So I always think of 80-20 like on a monthly basis. So like thinking of, you know, because that eliminates people's idea of it just being during the week and the weekends going and 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 really focusing more on like if it's someone's birthday, then we, you know, or there's something at work or, you know, your kid makes something or it's a Friday and you're having pizza night or, or whatever, like that it's, it's those occasions that fall into the 20% thing. Um, that doesn't equal every single Friday night 
and Sunday afternoon where it's drinking fests and pizzas and burgers and all of the things that um, cause that inflammatory response to occur. It's, you know, more occasion type mm-hmm. things. And again, there's nothing wrong with pizza or burger, but when people don't eat those foods regularly, now when they're put in the situation to eat it, they engorge themselselves. Right. So I know for, for, I love pizza. So Brian and I have pizza. Um, we get it once a week and it depends, you know, whatever day it might be. I don't know. It's usually sometime on the weekend because that's easiest, you know, versus the week. And we, since we've started doing that regularly, I don't eat half the pizza. I have two pieces and maybe maybe a third on longer running days kind of a thing. What, what kind of pizza are we getting at two or three pieces? I mean... I get a big grocery store one. Okay. So it's so like the... the frozen? Y- no, like, like not a, not the frozen. Like, like the fresh? The like, fresh. Ah, like a okay. Like a Papa Murphy's gotcha. take and bake. Big cake and bake. Got so it. it's, it's a larger pizza. It's thick crust or okay. thicker crust it's not like deep dish right. uh i don't think i don't think you can buy those like that but oh you um, can oh can you really oh you oh, can oh yeah i would do that <laughs> i love the, i love bread <laughs> so that would be right up my alley we're, we're a home run in pizza uh frozen pizza family so oh, okay you know, yeah yeah that's yeah what the kids love oh we get them to just to have in the fridge because life happens yeah and you need to just throw pizza in once in a while yeah and it's okay yeah, so I mean, I this this to me is really hitting at the heart of I think what a lot of people are fearing, right? Do I need to follow a diet? Because I mean, there's more on here. Somebody, uh, uh, Deva asked um, if you're familiar with, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but Esselstein and Campbell, stu- uh, the studies that talk about plant only, no oils, and I would say that you're going to have the same response, which is okay, if you're going to do that forever, it's probably great. Right. And you probably now have to supplement with omegas, uh, like omega-3, because if you're not eating oil, you know, you're not getting those right. foods in. Yeah. So are, when it comes down to it, are you, I, I'm really having trouble even framing the question like about <laughs> about weight loss itself. Because I, I think that a lot of times when we talk about food and fear, it, it, we're talking about weight. Yes. I think that that's, 80 20 rule that's 80 percent of the time what what we're talking about so yeah is are you even bothering talking to your clients about calories in calories out are you tracking things is it just unless someone comes to me with significant food fears and they can't give it up like you you kind i kind of have to evaluate that but let's say it's you know in an ideal world my clients are not logging their food they don't have to log their food again unless there's something i'm looking for specifically or uh sometimes they need to gain weight like i sure. you know there's there's yeah, absolutely. instances yeah of course um we're not hopping on scales ever there's no scale involved and there's no diet and unfortunately that's not glamorous And that's, you know, you're absolutely right. People are looking, people are fearing weight change. They're fearing gain because that's socially unacceptable in this society at this point. And they're going to be judged. They're going to be shamed, whether it's uh, personal, like inside of them or external. And um, yeah, so no, no logging, no measuring, no scales, um, no diets. It's really, truly finding balance of nutrients and and taking like they might they might tell me what they're eating for a day or two kind of a thing so I can have an idea of what what something might look like um and actually a a client I've been working with for two months she automatically she's like I I just I don't want to put the energy into logging Uh, she's I think I want to say she's like 28 years old 200 and maybe 30 pounds she was guessing um you know maybe five two five three somewhere right in there okay um so 
she gave me a little bit of a log of what she was doing. We made, you know, first round simple modification. We're going to start here. We're just going to make these couple changes. Then, you know, the next month or next two week period. Okay, now we're just going to do a couple of these. And we weren't eliminating everything. We weren't, we weren't uh, saying, no, you can't have this and no this and no this. And no, we were, we were finding the balance of everything we were working on. Um, portioning, but not like, oh, you can only have a cup. It was like on your plate, put some, put, put rice on your plate and it's not going to be half your plate and it's not going to be a sliver of your plate. You, you find, you know, take a scoop of it, put it on your plate and see what it looks like. Finish your plate. Are you still hungry? Check in with yourself in, in really working on mindfulness and intuition. Again, it's not glamorous to people because weight loss is, it's slow then. And it's not telling people like, oh, I only eat this way and I'm healthy and I do this. It's just, mm, I find balance in what I do. So I've been working with her for two, two and a half months. And she's like, I said, well, how are you doing, you know, with, how are you feeling about your clothes and all of that? And that's my way to check in with people. She's like, I, you know, I'm down a full pant size. I'm fine. You know, I was teetering on, you know, this pant size to this one. And now, you know, in this last period, she's officially now into a different pant size. And she's like, I feel great. I have more energy at work. I think I can actually work an eight hour shift and not get tired. She feels wonderful. And she's, she's not giving up having Starbucks. She's not giving up whatever dessert she might like or chips or, you know, whatever. Um, but it's also not, you know, she has a friend. She's showed me today. She's like, yeah, my friend is doing keto and is only eating omelets all day. And I'm like, do you want to eat omelet? And she, but she lost six pounds this week. And I'm like, well, A, that's probably water weight, but do you want to eat omelets all day? Like you could, you can do that. But is, how does right. that sound to you? And she's like, she's like, I really like that I can eat a dessert and not worry about it. She's not thinking about food all the time. And that's what we have to start realizing. Cause the more we're thinking about food, the more we're likely doing something wrong. Yeah. I think that that's the call of things like keto or, other diets, right? Is that the thought process of what am I going to eat is cut down, right? Choices are cut way back for you. Yes. And there's a comfort. It's like a warm blanket to me. Yeah. To not have as many choices. Because when I have a lot of choices, I'm going, that all looks good because I literally eat everything. Yep. And so now I want all of it. And pairing back on that becomes a problem. This COVID no more buffet thing is probably great for people like me. Uh, I'm I'm missing buffets. <laughs> no, but I will I will tell you I've struggled with that too. The too many choices thing, where you're like I want everything because I'm like you. I love food. I love the taste of it, and I want to eat food. And for me, what I've had to do is say I'm gonna have everything that I want and it, that on this spread, but I'm not gonna take large. I'm just gonna take one to two bites worth of everything and put it on my plate. Right. And that's how I've been able to manage that versus having to choose three things right. and then I'm like oh no I want that too that's right. hard right yeah so I mean I think there's questions in here about how do you measure health then right without talking to your doctor or a dietitian mm-hmm. like on a daily basis how are you measuring health if you're not stepping on a scale if, if taking you're, your blood pressure if you're not taking your blood pressure <laughs> yeah. every day right, Cholesterol, right. Uh, if you're not if your clothes maybe aren't budging Right. Mm-hmm. So how are you measuring health at that 
uh, you know, is yep. how do you look at it then? I look at it in terms of energy. So that's the other question I always ask my clients is how, what's your energy level? Especially, so if I'm working with athletes, we always check in on energy. How is your energy before you started your activity? What is it during? What is it after to, to do the rest of your day? Because you shouldn't be cached. Maybe in 90 degree sunshine and you're out there four hours, you're going to be cached for a different reason. But what is your energy level? Um, and then for those that maybe aren't crazy athletes and they're just regular exercisers, they're doing basic movement, we still check in on energy. Because if you're lethargic, if you're feeling like you're, I just can't do this, your sleep patterns are off, you're not sleeping at night, something is still missing. So energy plays a big role. And that's how I generally judge it. Going to the doctor, that's your, that's your opportunity. Sure. Check your blood pressure, your cholesterol, your blood work. Um, and you know, doctors don't always know everything about health and, nu- and nutrition as they relate. Um, but they can give you those other, those other numbers. There are dietitians out there who want people to step on scales and use that as a measure. And, and that's fine. I personally, I don't, I've seen it be less fused. It, it causes more shame because it doesn't matter what a person weighs. They're not going to like what they see on the scale. Rarely do they accept the number without having to say like, oh, it really should be blank weight, or I really want to be blank weight. And then when they get there, they just want to keep searching right. for a different number. Same with BMI. You know, it, th- those to me are arbitrary numbers. Um, my favorite is Michael Jordan was ob- ob- obese yeah. on the BMI scale. So Exactly. You know. And, and MJ was not uh, in his prime. <laughs> no, exactly. And that's how so many of us, um, especially in the ultra running community, are going to end up. It just it, There's a muscle mass to us that that we have. And it's OK. Those numbers don't are not indicators of health. Those are indicators for insurance companies to to allow you to have something covered or not. And to be able to say, like, oh, this is, you know, this is where you're at. And therefore, this right. is what we think of you. Right. Because they're looking at the correlation, not causation of Correct. Ca- catastrophic diseases like cancer and heart disease Correct. and stroke and such. Which right. Everybody relates to obesity. Right. Well, in, in and even, metabolic syndrome, I guess, is the yeah, other one. Right? You could throw metabolic syndrome in there. And, and, you know, the thing, you know, in your 20s and 30s and 40s, let's say, you know, you're you're people are so afraid of of diabetes and heart disease and, you know, cancer and all of those things. And, and rightly so. Right. But again, you know, yeah, how you eat plays a role in there. But so does, you know, we have to then talk about the conversation of drugs and alcohol. We have to have the conversation about stress, whether it's from family, work, anxiety, depression, you know, stress, cortisol levels. We have to talk about that then because those and then obviously environmental issues can can play a role in there, too. So, like, we can't just point the finger that food is causing diabetes or heart disease um, if if no one chooses to be overweight or obese. I want to just put that out there because, you know, so many people look at overweight or obese individuals and say, how could you be eating that? You don't know people's financial situations. You don't know if they're living in food deserts. You don't, you don't know these things. They might have a disorder that that is something you've never heard of and is related to you know they have to be on a steroid or it affects their hormones um whatever it might be that causes them to to gain that weight and it's it's our choice as human beings if we want mcdonald's or a soda and that's okay we can't be judgmental but then in our 50s and 60s when things start to happen we have to remember that inflammation on the cellular level 
does play a role with food a little bit, but it's that stress and environment factor that that is also in there that can cause those things to occur, whether it's diabetes, heart disease, and and whether whether you're an athlete or you're thin or overweight or obese, you every human being has a potential for heart disease or diabetes, or it doesn't matter. And honestly, the people who are yo-yo dieting are going to have a greater opportunity to have, you know, be on insulin if they keep doing that kind of this back and forth thing instead of just keeping things even keeled. Yeah, I think that I have a volume issue, right? Mm -hmm. I think that that my issue is not necessarily what I'm eating all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I I think I've I've gotten a better handle on that personally. Sure. But it's volume. So example would be when I, I don't need to eat the entire bag of popcorn, but I do. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's not that big of a deal because popcorn's not all that calorically dense, right? Yeah, right, right. But my issue is that then I'll eat the entire bag of Cheetos, right? Because it's the same volume, mm-hmm. but it's 10 times the amount of calories in that right. giant bag, right? Right. And so I think that for me, it's often a volume issue. It can be, and it can, it can be for a lot of people. And, and then you have to kind of peel the onion back and think like is that a behavioral issue or is that is that an emotional attachment yeah and B. you know yeah right <laughs> right, right. Yeah. like it's, it's all of the above right? what's going on as a precursor to that behavior you know is it whatever stress it might be is it you waited too long between lunch and dinner and so now you're you know you've got that kind of that hunger residual right. hunger thing going on it could be, you know, loneliness. It can be loathing something, it, you know, happiness. It, well, there's so it, much. Look, growing up in an Italian family, you know, on one side, uh, you know, my on my dad's side, the Italian family part, food equaled love, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so more food meant more love. So yes. I remember growing up and my grandma always saying, like, is that all you're going to eat? Are you going to eat more? Do you want more? I don't have enough. And there, it's like piles and piles of food everywhere, right? Yes, that was my, my German family. Too. Yeah, yep, you my know, and, and so I think that ease of, of use became, mm-hmm. you know, just just start eating more. And when mm-hmm. I got to a certain age, I just decided that I was going to eat more because that's what I saw the role models in my life doing. And right. this is not Look, I'm not blaming anybody. I had a choice, right? And oh, sure. And I'm choosing to eat the double cheeseburger at Willie's Weenie Wagon when I work there. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> so uh, it was yes. delicious. It's the, it was the best <laughs> yeah. double cheese ever. So That's awesome. Uh, but it, it, there was just this big, and I still feel that way. Like when when some when somebody likes food that I've made, mm-hmm. I can't even tell you the emotional response that I get. Right. And when I watch people overeating my food. It feels really it good. It feels good. I know. And it's it's so funny you should say that because one of the things, I think it was my sister or my mom that said to Brian before we got married, like, be careful because every husband in this family outside of my dad has, has gained a bunch of weight after marrying one of the girls. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, Brian was, you know, you're taken aback in a sense. But we love, we love, we all love food. That's how we grew up with my, my grandma's recipes and everything where that was, it was love. And, um, and I do the cooking and Brian, that always made Brian nervous at first because he's like, well, I'm not really going to gain weight, right? <laughs> like, you're, you're okay. Like, I'm putting, it's fine. But, you know, and I, I see where he's coming from, but I also see where that comment comes from because so much of how we eat as adults is, 
based on how we were raised as children. Right. No fault, of course, of anyone. But, you know, my question, and I don't have an answer for this, but how do we change that, that, you know, you know, eat all your food and you, oh, don't throw food away or, you know, whatever it was is when we were growing up. Is that something we should be changing? Is that something that is right or wrong? I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think that that comes a lot from a scarcity mindset, right? Because we are, oh, yeah. our previous generations were, went through the depression and then went through world wars, right? Went yep. through world war, went through the depression, the great depression, then went through another world war. And so scarcity was there. So what they always wanted to do was make sure they had enough, right? More, 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 hold yeah. on to everything. So I think it takes a couple of generations probably <laughs> for that shift. But you mentioned, you know, food deserts. So I mean, we have a scarcity issue today. Oh, yeah. Live with people living in food deserts it's that huge. we have to change as a society. And, and that's a big deal. I can I can give two really great examples, one of which I was doing Monument Valley. Uh, I don't know if it's 50 miles. I think it's a 50 miler uh, a few years back. And that's like it's. It's in Arizona, Utah, like right at that corner. And um, so we get there. We get into whatever town we were staying in. And it's real close to it's Native American area and everything. And you go to the grocery store and, the, you know, very, very limited grocery store. It was like two aisles of spam. I couldn't find bagels. So I ended up getting Kaiser rolls for the morning. Like it was it was unreal how limited it was. And it, it was a huge food desert and the native american population struggles with diabetes beyond some of beyond most populations um and it's really really sad because they don't have the resources and then you know i live in milwaukee and so many people point their finger at well african americans don't they, why are they eating that bad food why are they giving their kids mcdonald's at seven o'clock at night why are they buying regular soda if you've ever gone to you know north side milwaukee there there's no grocery stores there's none there's there's gas stations um and maybe a quick trip and it's like they have to travel to to go to an aldi's or for sure a trader joe's or any you know a meyer or just a, you know, like a pick and save or something like are, are you kidding like there's nothing well and that so it's so funny my wife gretchen and i just had this conversation uh, a very similar because i wanted so I've kind of gone to trying to do more intuitive eating mm -hmm. or whatever you want to call it, right? Which is, yeah. I think, a little what bit of what you're, about. you're talking about, right? Yeah. Which is, I'm going to eat what I kind of feel like, but I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to eat too much. Right, right. right. I'm going to so, listen, hunger, fullness. And most, yep. and I'm eating more plants than, than ever because that kind of stuck from my scare. Like, I'm like, oh, I kind of like these plant things. It's smart. So, yep. uh, so anyway, I wanted, I wanted a breakfast sandwich from McDonald's. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted a sausage McMuffin with egg the other morning and Gretchen did too. And she's like, that sounds great. So I go there. And they are uh, 480 calories, yeah, I think, like something that. like that, right? Yeah. And they're $4, two for $4. Well, no wonder in mm -hmm. a, a place that, that doesn't have a lot of income, mm -hmm. they flock to McDonald's because that's 1,000 calories mm -hmm. on four bucks. Right. And if when you have five kids under the age of 10, why would you go anywhere else? Right. Why would you buy sprouted bread and you know like real peanut butter and and again people just we can't judge people for those decisions how you know when someone you know in inner city milwaukee gets on the bus at four in the morning to get to work by 6 a.m and leaves work at 6 p.m and home by eight you really you want to cook 
a homemade meal at that point. Like it's just, or they're working two jobs or whatever. And there's so many people in this area that, that struggle with that. And, um, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the, the cost of McDonald's is the way it is because they're so successful, not because of the product that they're serving. You know, that's a, you know, some, a lot of those eggs are fresh made. They just use rounds. Right. Like right. I think people think it comes frozen and they're not. No, <laughs> no and they're delicious. And they're wonderful. So. <laughs> yeah. Especially round. Yeah, right? <laughs> it makes so a much easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, 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 we've covered a lot. There's a few more things that I'd like mm-hmm. to hit on that people have brought up and you've, touched on it a little bit because of the way that you approach things but a lot of questions around macros oh sure like yep what are they do we need to pay attention to them so so macros are basically you have uh, your macronutrients are carbohydrate protein and fat and when someone says i'm counting my macros or i do macros is usually how the language goes there it's a fancy way of saying i'm counting my I don't want to say counting calories, but I'm counting my grams of fat. I'm counting my grams of carb, grams of protein. And a lot of the new macro trends are these companies that are basically you send them or tell them your age, height, weight, and, you know, just general data. And they spit out how many quote unquote macros you should be eating in a day. It's a glorified calorie counting system. And that's all it is. In my opinion, it, it it's basically... It's you. It's logging your food, and unfortunately, it's counting. It 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 still is a diet. It's still taking you back to, oh, okay, this slice of bread is this, and this is this, and oh, now I'm over, so now I better. It's it's like that's not how eating should be. Just eat a sandwich, and it's two slices of bread to make a sandwich. Like that, whether it's more or less of whatever macro someone tells you. So, as an athlete, should people be looking at anything? So, like one specific question was like. Should I be eating a, a gram of protein per kilogram of body weight because oh, sure. I'm a runner? So how do is there something to that? Or is I mean, there those are that's like a general guideline kind of a thing. So if you want specifics, you would have you would have your lean muscle mass tested. Um, something we do right here actually, and it's you know working with a sports dietitian on what you specifically need because every athlete is really different, especially depending on their sport. Um, you know, let's take running, but sprint running 5k is very different than 100 miler. You know, like your needs are going to vary based on whatever sport you're doing more often. Um, and, and also too, based on your gender, males versus female, your, your lean body mass is going to make a huge difference in how many grams of carbohydrate a person needs. So like for me, when I calculated, I would say normally, most athletes, male and female, fall between six and ten grams of carb per kilogram a day. So that, that I mean, obviously everyone weighs something different, but I would say generally, most people are never under under three hundred grams of carbohydrate, and that would be a very small person, you know, like a very very small person. So it, it's people need a lot of carbohydrate, and that's something that I think they're not willing to do. And the macro programming is very much so falling into that. We're going to lessen your carbohydrate a bit because we know that that's going to leach the water. Carbohydrate holds water. For every gram of carbohydrate, that's four grams of water. So when you start eating carbohydrates, you hold on to four times as much water. Which explains why when somebody stops keto... Correct. 
they go up and wait. They go up quickly. and wait. Or when they start keto, they go, go down, down wait. four right. times and wait. So it's it's a big mind game and the diet industry knows this and they really, really toy on people's emotions. And that's that's the sad part. Yeah, I I get it. And I mean I it's tough because mm-hmm. weight is such a difficult issue for people both in terms of how they feel and how they look and the way people look at them or at least what they think people are looking at them and thinking and saying right right? and then there are people who are thin or thinner right and they only want to lose like maybe that last five pounds Mm -hmm. and it really is difficult to get that oh yeah because they might their body might say no i'm good i need this right you know and the body the body talks it's gonna tell you where it why it's gonna fight if you're trying to lose weight that it doesn't want to lose it's gonna fight you with it and it's it's you know it's hard it's hard to see that because i want you know everyone who listens should you know think about this question at what point in your life did you decide that your weight was not okay what was going on in your life? What happened? Was there something that sparked that? Because when we're, you know, three, five years old, that's not a thought. We're eating hot dogs and finger food and candy and no big deal. And then even as puberty hits, most of us are still fine. You know, like at what point in someone's life did they say, I'm not okay? Yeah, I could tell you for me what it was. Can I you? could tell you the exact moment, right? So I kind of got injured. I kind of stopped playing sports in, okay. in high school. And I was 17. I had been working that I really did work at some place called Willie's Wiggy Wagon. <laughs> That's awesome. We relish your buns. So uh, great food. And I started eating more and more of it. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, a woman named Rose look right at me and go, you know, you're getting fat. Yep. And it was and it's been since that moment at 17 years old, which I wasn't really overweight at that point. Not right. by much. At no. least it's been that moment. Until right now at, you know, nearing 50, mm-hmm. where I am, oh, crap, I'm fat. Right. And it's become part of my identity, mm-hmm. right? So that one comment, and that's generally how it starts for people, is it's a comment. Usually from a parent, a doctor, a coach is another popular, I shouldn't say popular, but it's a popular uh, influence on people. Um, it, it's so sad because it nine times out of ten is a, a bullying situation like that. Yeah, Rose was very thin. Oh, so maybe she was extremely, projecting extremely onto you. Thin. Yeah, so, she, she maybe had an issue. Yeah, maybe. You know, but it was that. I But it's interesting that I could tell you it's at that moment that I knew, like, my mindset started to shift. And then I could tell you the Sparked. moment where I knew it became a problem for me eating. Wow. Yeah. I was over my sink at like midnight eating a box of Entenmann's donuts. Yeah. And yeah. I looked up and saw my reflection in the, in the window and sure. went, Oh shit, I got a problem. Mm-hmm. Like I knew at that point, like my eating wasn't normal. That's disordered, right? To, yes, to wake up right. in the middle of the night and, and just right. start shoveling in those delicious chocolate donuts from Entenmann's yeah. is a bad, that's not normal. Right. 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 That's, that's nighttime eating or a closet eating or binge eating, depending on how you look at it and what else was going on. And it's, it's not good. Yeah. I mean, and, and I've been honest about this journey. I mean, got, you know, a, a blog and a podcast called Fat Man Chronicles. Cause I want to share like, Hey, you're not alone. You're not. No. And it's just our stories. And maybe, we, you know, we've gone down this path, right? Of, I mean, we shared our NSNG journey and it was 
quote unquote successful. Mm-hmm. And what I always say is it's easy to lose weight. Oh, if you follow so any easy. program, you cut back on your food, you're going to lose weight. Correct. The tough part is maintaining it. Right. And that's why I say you have to do it forever. If you don't want to see that shift back, you know, to where you were or even worse, uh, you better be okay with whatever you're doing for the rest of your life. Which is, I mean, do you really want to not have a piece of cake? I mean, I've had, I've had patients who are like, I'm getting married. It's fine. I don't need to eat my cake. And I'm like, are you for real? Yeah. Like, no. really? Okay. We have other, we're going to We talk didn't get a, I mean, you have cupcakes at our wedding. That's because everybody ate them <laughs> before we could get to them. <laughs> But that's a different story. That's another story, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so we're, t- we're talking about endurance athletics a little yeah. bit. And I think you're like the perfect person to ask. When we train for things, people that are overweight start training. And we want to lose weight at the same time as we're training for a marathon or a half marathon or 50K. It seems to become very difficult because we get hungry. Yeah. R- I mean, yes. Right? Right. Any hints or tips or is it just still just intuitive like it's it's not so what's happening is when when someone who you know let's let's take that standard guy who guy or girl is 20 pounds overweight and they decide well i'm gonna start running and i really want to train for my first you know 5k half marathon whatever they're starting they start to run what they're doing is they're putting they're putting gasoline in the tank right they're putting it in the car um and so their metabolism starts to rev up and when that starts to happen in any body whether it's an overweight body or not you have to consume more so they're gonna be hungry they're gonna they're gonna feel all of that and this is where people really kind of crap the bed is they're like i don't want to eat more because i'm trying to lose weight and if I eat that gel, that's just, that's a hundred calories that I shouldn't eat. And it's like, no, 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 no. That food inside your workout or around your workout is literally going right into your muscles and, and fueling you. Like it's going to rev the metabolism more Then later in the day, you'll be able to see some shift in weight that can start occurring. So there's, there's some chemistry, biochemistry, biology, maybe, um, lack of knowledge that people don't you know they're not understanding because they they still want to eat less and then they sometimes don't see a shift in weight when they start doing activity and they're like well what the hell right why am i not losing weight but they do need to eat more and it's when most people don't eat more around their workout and then it's like later at night three four eight o'clock at night like in that time frame and it's just constant eating and they need to be doing that around their workout yeah so well, I've got more questions for you, but we're starting to get rained on. <laughs> so uh, I would like to be able to ask you uh, maybe two more questions. Sure, so that absolutely. We can see and then we can wrap it up. And let's go back to the kids. Yeah. Do you have any advice for parents on, on kids who are, are, are overweight, like how they should be approaching things, what they should be looking at? Should we even be worried about weight oh, in a child? I love this question. And I, I hate it, too, because there's so many parents that push these push diets on kids or they tell them they like create shame and they tell them yucky things and it's so sad because these kids are developing eating disorders or closet eating binge eating you know that kind of a thing and when your kid is overweight that's okay you have to be aware of their behaviors and we can't no we can't let them sit and drink soda and eat candy all day and you know even if they're gonna cry about it like mm, we can't do that we need to be role models to them. We need to, you know, we're having a vegetable, they have a vegetable. And the Mosley method is one of the ways that that really parents can 
create a good way of like eating with their kids is this is dinner and it's turkey and stuffing and green beans and that's their dinner we're not making chicken nuggets we're not having three dinners that we're making this is dinner and you eat what you're going to eat of it here's dessert and you know we're having it together so it's very family oriented but the minute we start saying to kids like "Mm, oh you can't have that now we're creating more shame but so it's kind of like how we say things like, yeah, you can have a piece of candy and we need to make sure we have that piece of fruit then at lunch and, you know, get your protein in and yeah, have a dessert and we'll cook it together and and then we'll share it together and and kind of really creating more of a, a family or a friendship with food rather than a fear of food, because that is when it starts and it hits around, you know, for boys in particular, that puberty point and they're all kind of yeah. uncomfortable and they are going to be overweight and then come high school, they shoot up four feet and now they're super thin but then they've got this shame inside of them so if we can just understand that kids generally under 14 15, even 14 15 they're just gonna have some jigglies on them and that's okay cool yeah. <laughs> well let's wrap it up with this what general advice then do you have for us if if you had a perfect world and could tell everybody just you know here's the advice i've got for you as you look at your weight and food and health and how it relates to fear mm-hmm What's that? Could you sum it up for us? Yeah, I think take for everyone who's listening, take a step back and try to open up your mind to this idea that we all have a core. Uh, like picture, take your fist and, you know, make a fist. And it's, I always think of it as like an onion and you're going to peel back all of those layers. What on the what is on the inside of your core that's causing that fear? And and you may think, you know, that top layer, well, it's the food. Well, it's it. And and it's amazing how people can go back to stories like what Rose said, or they go back to a, a, a trauma that occurred with them or something with their wife or husband or something in childhood, whatever. And it's honest to God, 10 times out of 10, it's never an issue with food. It's it's always something else that's causing this problem. So don't constantly try to keep reaching at all of these diets and all of these different um, claims that are out there thinking that that's going to fix the problem. It might give you some relief on the surface and, and, you know, that initial happiness, but it's not, it's not internal happiness. We have to deal with the problem that's inside of us in order to achieve that, whatever that may be, whether it's a shame issue or, or depression, anxiety, um, body image, something like that. We got to get to the root problem. Um, and that's my advice. Don't, don't keep trying to, to reach for all of these things because it doesn't, it's not long lasting. It doesn't last forever. It's very short lived. And then we get even further into our hole and we're searching for something again. Um, that's what I've noticed most, most, and that's what I I always have. So many people are just like, well, in hindsight, I really should have just just eaten normal these last twenty years, and it's like, yeah, right, but you know, and but we can't go back, so we got to move. We have to, you know, be in present and move forward now. Right. So and accept our body for where it's at, and that's the other thing too is body acceptance, um, and and food acceptance. What do you, it's okay to like what you like, and it's okay to to not. I don't like kale. But, you know, like, I, really does? I don't think anyone really like it's gross. Maybe, maybe Scott. <laughs> yeah, maybe <laughs> there are, there are, he doesn't have many options. Right. <laughs> well, this has been awesome. If people want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, So you can find me on Instagram. Um, uh, So it's uh the at symbol 
what is that called? Yeah, is at, that an at? Yeah, it's at. <laughs> like, is, that an, is that an at? Yeah. At uh, A-N-I underscore W-E-I-S-S. So at Annie Weiss. And then uh, Facebook, same thing. Um, or, you know, obviously you can find me on my podcast. Um, I do have a blog. It just hasn't, I don't write much anymore. Yeah. Uh, but same thing, Annie Weiss. And um, yeah, you can always reach out to me uh, on any social media outlet. Totally cool. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll link up all that in cool. the show notes. I think great. I could have talked to you for another six hours. I know. So I really I know. appreciate the time. <laughs> yeah, it's my pleasure. Awesome. This is great. Thanks. Annie was fantastic to talk to, and I had at least a few dozen more questions for her. One thing we didn't get to discuss was the book her husband, Brian, wrote called See You at the Terminus. It's about Brian's experience crewing Annie to a fastest known time on the 1,200-mile Ice Age Trail, an unbelievable accomplishment. I really enjoyed the book and highly recommend grabbing a copy. We will have links to everything we talked about in the show notes. As we wrap up this special episode of the No Fear Project and Fat Man Chronicles, I want to thank all the patrons of both shows. First, the producers of the No Fear Project, the Money, Motivation, and Motherhood podcast, Deva Sylvia, and the Endurance for Everyone podcast. And... We want to thank the rest of the patrons for both shows, Karen, Christine, Linda, James, Amy, Julie, Rob, Shay, and 10 Junk Miles. Your support helps keep us going. I feel we need to end the episode with all the taglines. So, let's get out there and be better today. And remember, the way forward is together. The time to conquer is now. Thank you for listening to the No Fear Project. Original music is from Josh and Dean. Join us on social media by searching the No Fear Project on Facebook and Instagram. Check out thenofearproject.com for more information, including in-person presentations on fear customized for your organization. The No Fear Project is committed to helping those with mental illness get help and to defeating the stigma. If you have any thoughts of harming yourself or suicide, please contact the Suicide Prevention Hotline for help now at 800-273-8255. Remember, you are not alone. The No Fear Project is a production of Paragon Media, all rights reserved.